Well, praise the Lord. Give him one more big hand because he believes in us too. Praise the Lord. Great to see you. Give your neighbor a high five. Say thank God for air conditioning. And it'll be fall before you know it. Hey, turn your Bibles this morning. Jeremiah chapter 6. How many believe the Bible is literally the Word of God? Not just suggestions, not just nice ideas, not just an old book, but it's literally the Word of God, valid for life today. Uh, the Bible helps me understand America. It helps me understand my life. It teaches me how to be a, a better father, how to be a better husband, how to, how to be a better pastor, how to live life. The Bible teaches me the difference between right and wrong, and we approach it that way. Jeremiah 6 is where we're going to be going this morning. But uh, I need to get you to pray with me about something because there is a conspiracy in my home. All girls there, and of course, me being the only guy left. Uh, Linnell showed me the other day this cute little picture of my daughter Rebecca on Facebook. And she's, you know, she's 12, 13, you know, growing up teenager. Well, it was her phone and uh, it was her Facebook page. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to trick Rebecca a little bit here. So I said, you sure are pretty. You get your good looks from your daddy. I'm on my wife's phone, okay, so she thinks it's on Linnell's page. And she quickly writes back. She said, oh, no, Mom, I get my good looks from you. <laughs> but, okay, I can understand that, Mom and his daughter. But then my wife had the audacity to forward it to me. So just to let me know, that's the Miller household. You pray for us. Just teasing. But, you know, today we're laughing a little bit. We're enjoying church. Things are good. You know, life is good. We've had an encounter with God. But in Colorado today, there's a, there's a city, there's a state that is in shock and mourning at this disastrous crime, this murder spree that happened, largest mass shooting in America's history. Last Thursday night, you're probably sleeping. It's about 12 o'clock there. They're having the, the early showing of, uh, of the Bat New Batman movie. And uh, unbeknownst to the crowd, they thought it was just a prank. A guy walks through the door. You've heard it supposedly through the emergency door, kicked it down. Somebody let him in. He comes inside, and uh, he begins a murderous spree. He shoots 71 people. Twelve people have died, and forever people's lives will be changed. As this has happened, this is what I'd like to talk about this morning because I believe the Bible speaks to all of life. The Bible is not just a book to give you a history lesson. We're not just learning about ancient Greece or ancient Rome. We're not looking, just learning about America's early history. We're trying to learn about life today. It's how God would speak to us through the Bible, how we might, through our Christian worldview or understanding of life, understand a tragedy like this. So you have to ask the question, as all of America is doing, what's going on in America? What's going on? Why did this happen? I guarantee if you had stayed home today and you watched the talk shows all day, I would imagine most of them had to say uh, it's guns problem and it's, we need more gun control. That's likely the scenario that you're going to be hearing. Uh, sooner or later, you'll hear something about racism. Supposedly, he made some racist remarks. Uh, I would imagine we might hear something about violence in the media, but we hear that all the time and nothing seems to happen and it only gets worse. Uh, whenever they make a good, solid movie, a good, uh, uh, just normal, G-rated movie that you're not offended when you go to or have to do this or have to do that, uh, they make tons of money. But there's an agenda that orients that, so that will probably just be skipped over. Uh, sooner or later, somebody will say that he was a victim of society. Uh, he, was, uh, he was not working, I understand. He was on unemployment. All these things kind of float out there. But I want to suggest to you they're all surface-level answers. I want to suggest to you it's time America honestly asked the question, is there not a spiritual cause? 
for things like this? Is there not a spiritual cause for tragedies like this? In our own newspaper on Friday morning, I see that a, a guy in his late 20s is convicted for 60 years, has to serve 60 years in prison because he sexually molested a five-year-old child. Uh, I would virtually guarantee you that somewhere along the line, that guy got hooked up with pornography. And what started as probably a natural attraction towards a woman began to degrade itself. And before you know it, now he's into perversion. There are spiritual causes behind these things. And there are, are spiritual, spiritual things at work. It's time that America began to get honest because we have raised several generations in a culture of evolution. Evolution teaches us that there is no God. And if there is no God, then there's no purpose for your life. Uh, if there's no God, then there's no accountability for your life. You can just pretend you're the Joker in an 86 Batman magazine, Batman comic, and uh, you can go and do your thing and even continue to act like the Joker when you're in jail. Uh, if there is no God, there's no accountability. There's no purpose in life. You can become your own God. That's what has been taught through America through evolution. Because of abortion and its, and its role in America in the last 40 years, abortion has taught us that life is not sacred. Abortion has taught us that life is not precious, that uh, a human life is just like a bug. If you don't like the bug, you step on it. I mean, it just, it, it's like that in America today. In America, uh, protected species are more important than people. Hence, it doesn't bother someone when someone, either from his own self or whether this guy was prompted by someone else to do what he did, that's the America we're in. We're in America today that where our court system over the last probably 50 years have been pushing God out of our, out of our consciousness. Uh, we've pushed God out of our school system. We don't teach children uh, the commandments of God, thou shalt not murder. Uh, God is not in our culture. It's not in our society. We don't see, we don't see business leaders or po political leaders leading us in spiritual ways. Uh, they're not people of prayer. Even though Benjamin Franklin, the founding of our nation, uh, when there was a, a constitutional crisis and they couldn't get their heads together about how this nation was going to be governed. And Benjamin Franklin said, listen, guys, uh, God brought us this far. And if he brought us this far, how in the world do we think we can go farther without his great hand at work in our life? Well, see, we don't hear that today. It's kind of purged from our consciousness. And this is what we end up with in America today. This is the America that we live in today, a, a nation of corruption, a nation of immorality, a nation where people no longer, no longer know the difference between right and wrong. And uh, it's with that background that we look into the Bible. As I said last week, America's problems won't be solved until the nation returns to God. Let me say it again. The problems that we're looking at today, whether there are economic problems, whatever the case is, have spiritual roots. And the foundational answer is that a nation returns to God. And I'm going to explain what that means today. But I want to read a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. The wall of protection had fallen around the nation. You do understand why America is the greatest nation literally in the history of the, of the world. It's because God has blessed this nation. And part of God's blessing is not just what he does, but it's his unseen hand of protection that surrounds us. And I suggest to you is the book I shared last week, The Harbinger, talks about how the sins of the nation have caused this veil of protection to fall from us. Well, the same thing was happening in ancient Israel. Jeremiah was speaking to them. He was warning the people because the Babylonian army was coming. And here's what he said, verse 16. The Lord says, stand where the roads cross and look. Ask the, ask, and ask where the old way is, where the good way is. And walk in it. If you do, you'll find rest for yourselves. Tragically, they didn't. 
But the role of the prophet basically, and I want you to look at that phrase. Stand where the roads cross and look. Where the old way is, where the good way is, and walk in it. Now, what does that mean? Basically, I want you to imagine you're in the country, walk, you're on a country road, you're driving your car, and it's a gravel road, and all of a sudden you see a road crossing and something just tells you to stop. You don't know which way to go. Let's say you're trying to find somebody's house, and you stop right there, and you're at those two gravel roads, and you don't know which way to go. Well, that's exactly what was happening in Jeremiah's day. He basically said, guys, look around you at what's going on in your world. Your world is collapsing around you. Your world is falling. Your world is falling apart. It's time for you to get back on the old way. Come on, the good way, the right way. And how many know that's God's way? And basically the opposite is going your own way, doing your own thing. And that's where America is today. And I suggest to you that our answer for turning the nation around, our community, to regain God's blessing on what we do is to return to what the Bible calls the old ways. Now, I'm going to talk about that this morning. I've entitled the message, The Old Ways. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what that is. But I want to suggest to you, how many know some new ways are better than old ways? I mean, how many know, how many rather have an iPhone than a phone booth? I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, that's just, you know, that's a no-brainer. But listen, when it comes to what television you show you're going to watch, I can sit down and, and, and with my DVR, go back and watch the Andy Griffith show. Amen. He died a few days ago. I can watch the Andy Griffith show with my daughter, Rebecca, and when it's over, before we know it, we're holding hands and we're kind of smiling at each other and we've learned a lesson about life because Andy taught Opie something. Or you can watch The Walking Dead and you can learn about zombies. It's very popular in America today. People are using bath salts as a drug and it's making them do crazy, crazy things. And that can be your entertainment. I wonder which is the, which is the old way the right way, the better way, the good way, and which is a new way that leads to destruction. If you want to learn about family, we like the Cosby Show, too. You go back, and I've never been offended, maybe a time or two, but not much by Bill Cosby. When he, was, he and Claire were raising a family, and they were teaching family values, and they showed about love and about care, and they showed all those things. I can watch that, or I could watch Modern Family. Modern Family has different clothes, different dress, different verbiage, but how many know just because it's new doesn't mean that it's better? And America has lost the sense of right and wrong. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning because Jeremiah's role, what Jeremiah was trying to do is basically was call the nation back to God. He was trying to be someone to say, if you'll go back to God's ways, the good ways, life will be better. And let me suggest this to you as well. As I talk to you this morning in this morning's message, I'm not just giving you a history lesson. I'm not just saying that's what they did. I'm suggesting to you that this is what we need to do. That the solution for America is not just for the preachers to get together and do something, but it's for all of us as Christians that we in our circle of influence would call people to return to God. Listen, Facebook can be a wonderful tool or a destructive tool. Facebook can be a tool to help call people back to the old ways. Come on. Listen, the things that we do, and we'll talk more about this, but your life, God intends you to be a modern-day Jeremiah, a modern-day Jonah, a modern-day person that calls people in your world back to Him. Because I suggest to you, if someone had have called this young man, uh, uh, it was James Holmes, I think, if someone had called him back to God, we wouldn't have seen the tragedy that we did on Thursday night. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's talk a little further about what these old ways are. Now, the problem is Jeremiah doesn't tell us exactly 
But clearly, he's assuming that it's the commandments of God, the ways of God, the life of God. Now, I want to give you two scriptures that I, that, that, well, that, the, that clearly says that it's, they're kind of like summary statements of the Bible. If you look at this book, if you're not very familiar with the Bible, or even if you are, I mean, it could be 15, 1,800 pages, depending which, you know, which one you have and how many study notes. I mean, that's a pretty thick book. If you start off in the book of Leviticus, it's as confusing as it can be. Where in the, what is the most important thing in this book? What can we use as an overview, as a summary, that might give us a foundation for these old ways? I suggest we go to the wisest man who's ever lived, Jesus Christ, and we go to the wisest man in the Old Testament, Solomon, to hear what they had to say. Jesus said this, Mark 12, and I'm going to read these couple scriptures and then comment as we try to see what could be the foundation of the old ways that would work for America. Now, verse 28, Mark 12, one of the teachers of the religious law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Big statement. And here's what Jesus said. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and he is the pretty key. He's the only Lord. And verse 30, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say it with me. All your soul, all your mind and all your strength. But he didn't stop. And the second is equally important. What's it say? You should I wonder if James Holmes had ever heard that. More importantly, I wonder if he had ever experienced that in his life. I suggest to you the answer is clearly no. Love your neighbors yourself. There's no commandment more important than these. Now Solomon in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is a book about his trying to understand life and how you find happiness in life and the purpose of life. Here's what he said, the last two verses. He said, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Say this with me. Fear God and keep his commandments for this. I thought Maslow told me in psychology that the whole purpose of man was self-actualization. To be all I could be. To do what I want to do. To have fun. To live the way that I want to live. I got a minor in psychology, and I think most of it you have to throw away because it's man-centered, listen, rather than God-centered. But once you buy into the basic underlying suppositions, then it all makes sense. But it's built on sinking sand rather than on the eternal rock of Christ. Solomon said, listen, fear God, keep his commandments. Look at verse 14. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, good or evil. Now, let me suggest to you that the foundation for the old ways, the Bible itself, could be summarized this way. There is one true God. He is good, and He wants a personal relationship with us. Isn't that what Jesus said? There's one true God. Now, listen, in America, you don't have to worship any God. In America, you can worship, you can make up your own God, you can stare in your belly button, you can put a smiley on your face and say you're God. You can do whatever you want to do. But according to the Bible, and it is just possible the Bible may be true, According to the Bible, there is one true God. But the Bible says He's a good God. See, many people confuse God with going to church. Now, going to church is a good thing, but this is not God. You understand? This is, it's a religious, and it's not just a duty. It's a way to worship, to understand, and learn about God. But God wants personal relationship. I guarantee you, James Holmes never would, did not know this, or he would not have done what he did. God wants relationship with you. 
God wants relationship with you. But he goes on to say in Solomon, one day, though, you're going to give an account for your life for God. One day, James, you're going to stand before God on judgment day. And you're going to have to answer for the fact if you go in that theater, the Holy Spirit would have been speaking to him. If you go in that theater, if you do what you've planned to do, you're going to have to stand before God on judgment day. Listen, because you're going to give an account for your life because you're about to break the commandments of God. And you're about to break the second commandment, James, loving your neighbor as yourself. Literally, if you want foundation old ways, treat other people the way you want to be treated. The Bible is not complicated. Love God and follow his ways because one day you're going to have to give an account and treat people the way you want to be treated. If those two basic, simple, old ways would undergird America, imagine how it would have changed. Imagine how that young man's life would have been different. Rather than a, a brilliant 24-year-old recluse that got this idea. You know, Judas, uh, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, but the Bible said Satan entered him. And he used some door, the door of greed. Well, somehow, Satan was able to get a hold of this young man. How different would it have been if from birth he would have lived in a culture that valued life, that all life is sacred? How different it would have been, listen, if someone would have taught him that rather than attacking and hurting people that have hurt you or you perceive have hurt you, how different it would have been if he would have learned about forgiveness and he'd have learned about going to the person who hurt you rather than taking it out on people. I'm telling you how different life would have been if in his life he would have had a moral compass that would have refined his conscience to tell him right and wrong. And if you do something that's wrong, you're going to give an account of your life before God. I'm telling you, it's missing in American culture today. We have neutered America. Our courts have thrown out God. Our kids are not understanding about it. They don't see it on television. When you do see something about God, it's some, it's some crazy thing, come on, rather than something that's wholesome and real and true. Now, in the absence of that, all man has, all civil government has, is to try to control the behavior of people. Because what I've talked to you about, these old ways will control your heart. These old ways will guide you from the inside. And if you don't have inside guidance, the only thing that can happen is our society has to do more and more, come on, to try to preserve order. I read yesterday there are 122 federal or agencies that have received okay from the FAA to use these drones over America. I'm talking about the same kind of flying machines that go around all different sizes, the size of, you know, however big they are, two or three feet long, or the size of an insect. Just like fly around, you know, you see 30, 40 feet long, fly around Afghanistan and Iraq and drop bombs and have cameras. That's, a, that's, that's, that's what you go to. More cameras, more laws, more, more, that's right, less freedom, more police. We, we have policemen in our church. Think about where America has come to. At the higher, now, how many glad we have a policeman? But I mean, and a safety team. But why do you have those today? Because America is a nation that has lost her moral compass. I'd add one more thing too that you will not hear in all the clamor for gun control. If, if in that movie theater last Thursday night, if there had been two or three handfuls of people that had a concealed handgun license, come on, and that were responsible. And when it became clear that that guy was taking lives, if somebody put a little red dot right there, all that would have stopped. And rather than having funerals, come on, society would have been protected. 
Unless you think that's odd for a preacher to say, Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out, if you don't have a sword, get one. Now, he's not advocating violence, but the Bible does not say that you can't protect yourself and your family and those that you love. You say, well, that's kind of odd. I think it's just common sense about the Second, Command, uh, second uh, uh, Amendment to our Constitution. See, we live in a nation that has lost its moral bearings. And the nation's solution is to return to God. Now, if you don't hear anything else I'm going to say today, I want you to hear this. How could our nation reestablish these old ways? How could this happen? It's if people like you and I use our circle of influence <coughs> to call people back to him. You say, well, in the last days, it's going to get worse and worse. I know it is. But couldn't there also be a revival in the last days? Yes, come on. Couldn't there also be a, a great awakening yes. in America? Yes. Couldn't there be an awakening that starts in the church house and spills over in the streets and finds come its on, way no. in, 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 in places of authority in America today? Couldn't there be a revival in Hollywood? Couldn't there be a revival in Washington? Couldn't there be a revival in Little Rock and in Austin? Sure it could. That might change the course of the country. Now, is that going to happen? I hope it is. But I can tell you this. I have, the, I have the injunction from God, just like you do, to make disciples of all nations, to call America back to God, to help America to continue on the path that we're on. But my friends, the opportunity to do this comes from the privilege, listen, from God Almighty. Give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me, let, let, uh, Jonah, I'm just going to go to the book of Jonah. And when you think of Jonah, you think of the whale, okay? There's a lot of themes, though, in this book that I want to look at this man, Jonah, as all prophets in the Bible. Now, how many know when we think of a prophet, we think of, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's this religious man that, that went to, you know, Bible school and seminary and, and he had all this and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the guys in the Bible that were prophets were people just like you and I. You know, they were farmers, they were shepherds, they were, Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus called the fishermen, and three years later, he's calling the whole Jewish nation to repent and turn back to God. So God wants to use people just like you. But what I want to do is I look just at a few verses in Jeremiah to give you some hope about what God can do to turn a nation around. How God can give, uh, uh, to give you some hope, how God can turn your school around. How God could turn our community around. Come on, how God could turn Texarkana's inner city around. How God could use you and your sphere of influence to make a difference that lasts for eternity. Now let's begin. Jonah chapter 4. And here's the first thing I want you to see. Is that God cares about people who are going the wrong way. And when I say going the wrong way, I'm talking about the world. I'm talking about the craziness, the insanity of life. I'm talking about people who end up in the criminal justice system. This scripture shows us God cares about those folks. Jonah 4.11, the last verse of this little book, Jonah 4.11, God said this, Should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? Now, other translations say, think of that, that that's twice as many people that live in Texarkana, USA. He said, they don't know right from wrong. Another translation says, they're in spiritual darkness. 120,000 people, they're murdering, they're killing each other. 120,000 people, they're abusing children. There's domestic violence. There's corruption in government. Come on. People lie. You don't know the truth from a fact. They'll steal from you. They'll rob from you. Kind of sounds like America in many ways today, don't you think? But here's, here's what God said. God said, I care about those people. Now, 
Ultimately, he's going to hold them in account, but he loves them. Listen, because sin has destroyed their life. Because Satan and evil has literally destroyed their life, their family, their heritage. They have generations of evil that has worked in their life. And these people have no hope. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And God says, I care about them. And God's solution was, I'm going to send my man Jonah to talk to them. See, God's solution is, God's, listen, the solution to America's problems will not come from the White House. They will come from the church house. Let me say it again. The solutions to the, the depth of our problems will not come from the White House. They'll come from the church house. See, they don't know what to do in Washington to fix our problems. They, don't, they have spent so much funny, fake money, they don't know what to do. I mean, they're out of control, but nations will begin to... Do you think the, we would see the corruption we do in our government and in our society if people were walking with God and God had touched people and we'd return to the old ways? No, you'd see something different. But God, here's what I want you to know. God cares about these wayward people. God cares about these people that have been so corrupt and so troubled. And if God cares about them, how many know we should care about them too? Listen, I guarantee you, if one week ago, if someone would have invited James Holmes to church, I mean, come on, a spirit-filled church, a place where the presence of God was there and people's lives were being transformed and put on the right track. If he would have gone to a church like that with his sinister plan in mind, he would have not done what he did Thursday. He could have had an encounter with God that could have changed his life forever. I'm telling you, friends, that can happen because when people get right with God, they're not the same person they used to be. I'm telling you, when people get right with God, they're not the same person they used to be. God changes them on the inside. And that's what we're supposed to be about as Christians. We're supposed to be the bridge from a righteous God to a troubled culture and society, bringing truth and life and a godly example and calling them back to the old ways. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. That's our job. It's, it's what we do. It's who we are. Uh, chapter 3, let me share a scripture with you. God will anoint our words to change the hearts of people. Now, let me say this to you. It is difficult for me not to be cynical. It is difficult for me to feel like it's not going to change. It's difficult for me to feel overwhelmed by the problems of my nation. How about you? I mean, I, you feel sometimes like your vote doesn't count. You feel like if you call your congressman, it doesn't make any difference in the world. And I'm telling you, you can just kind of give up hope. Forget hope in the process. Let me give you some hope that God has the power to change the hearts of people. And God can anoint our words. Now listen to this. Jonah chapter 3. <laughs> Jonah didn't even want to go. I mean, it's like God had to take a stick almost and just kind of spank him to get him, get him out there. So he walks around this city for three days. Now listen to this, Jonah 3.3. 3. Nineveh, a very important city. One translation, and here this says, a city important to God. And I want to tell you, these wayward generations are important to God. Wayward cultures are important to God. Wayward neighborhoods are important to God. Wayward gang members, important to God. Come on. Wayward people are important to God. And Jonah proclaimed eight words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words, which literally he was saying this. If you don't return to the old ways, God's going to judge this city. Now, that's all he said, but the Bible records an amazing thing in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. It was almost like this man was speaking on God's behalf, but these words pierced their heart. 
They weren't just an intellectual argument. They weren't just a part of a debate. But these words were heard as words from God, and it pierced the hearts of people. I remember when a Gideon told me in August 15th, it was in 1976, early August, and he gave me a Bible and he said, God could change your life if you'd read this, son. And it was like I'd heard those words for the first time. You know what it's like when you have an encounter with God and God speaks to you and he draws you and pulls you like a magnet. Well, that's what's happening. The Bible says they declared a fast, all of them from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was like old, it was like an old wool garment. It was hairy, it was scratchy, and the whole purpose was to make you feel some sense of discomfort. They realized what they had done was wrong. In verse 6, the king of Nineveh issued a proclamation. He said, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This was the civil leader that was leading the nation in repentance. Listen, leading the nation in repentance. He was a pagan man. And he was telling people, we need to return and get off these crazy new ways we're on. And we need to get back to the old ways. Because our evil and violence are wrong. Verse 9, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we won't perish. And when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways. Listen, God had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. What does that mean? That means that it was simply eight spoken words. It was a mini tweet. It was a short Facebook message. It was just a short comment to someone in Walmart. It was just a brief word to someone in the gym. But it was something that brought life to them. It was something that helped turn their marriage around. Yeah. Something that was a door so God could restore their family. Yeah. It was something so God could get them off the path they were on that was so hatred and vile yes. and ready to get a gun and kill somebody and bring forgiveness in their heart. Yes. It's like the words of God have power to pierce the heart. The book of Hebrews says that the words of God are, are sharp and powerful. See, you'll see it on the screen. The Word of God is alive and powerful, the book of Hebrews says. And when you are a carrier of the words of God, you, my friend, become someone that God can use to see people change. And it could be cultures change, and it could be nations change. See, It's not just an intellectual argument that's needed. How many know it's the power of the living God? And when you have an encounter with God, God will change your life. You, you ever heard of John Newton? How about the song Amazing Grace? Well, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, but did you know he was a slave trader? Did you know he owned a ship and he would traverse from the uh, Ivory Coast, I believe it was, and he would come to America, he'd lose a third to a half of the people in that. Can you imagine the filth and the stench in the bottom of a slave ship? And one day he had so hardened his heart the only thing that I can liken that to is someone that works in an abortion mill and that's what they do with their life and they get up to go to work to take the lives of children and to tell women that there's no, it's not a big deal. Somehow you have to so harden your heart to wickedness. But one day there's a storm. And isn't it amazing how a crisis can get your attention? And this storm is rocking and rolling and all of a sudden this man starts to pray and he starts to talk to God. And somehow in that, he has an encounter with God and God begins to change this man's life. And before he knows it, he looks at what he had been doing, listen to slave trade, and he says, this is wrong. 
And he turns his back on it. He gets out of the slave trading business. And you know what? He becomes a minister. And one day down the road, he writes this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Come on. That yeah. saved a wretch like me. Yeah. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Come on. For all eternity. But where does that come from? What would have happened if James Holm could have had an encounter like that? I'm going to tell you, my friends, God's power can pierce through the darkness of a man or a woman's soul. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Let me kind of wrap up here. Jonah chapter 1. Now, what I'm talking about today, though, is, is not just to kind of stir you up a little bit. I hope this sets you on a course of, of action. See, this is very practical. This is what Christianity is supposed to be about. Do you realize you could just buy a Bible and give it to somebody, and that Bible could be a vehicle to change their life? A Facebook, a tweet, sharing your faith with somebody, talking with someone. I'm telling you, you don't have to do what I do. You don't have to be a vocational preacher. You can just be a normal, everyday person communicating to people in the world that's around you. You don't have to go to China, but we do have to be God's mouthpiece and God's voice. Come on, right here where we are. Uh, Jonah, though, uh, verse 1, was like many of us. He didn't want to warn them. Now, I'm going to summarize this for time's sake. God saw the condition of Nineveh, and it was a mess. And God said, I need somebody to go and tell them. For whatever reason, God doesn't send angels. He sends people like you and I. And he told Jonah to go down there. And, he's got, and Jonah said, no thanks. And Jonah turned around and went as far away from God as he could get. And even when God did the miraculous thing and changed that city, Jonah was mad about it. <laughs> Jonah was not very excited. Now, we don't fully understand the reasons. But maybe Jonah just didn't like Ninevites. Maybe, maybe, maybe he saw how wicked they was. And he, maybe he believed they need judgment. Who, who knows what it was? Maybe they'd done something in his family line. The bottom line was, is it, is, it, is it Jonah told God no when God told Jonah to go? And here's the question I want to ask you today. What are you doing? What are you doing to bring hope to a hopeless world? What are you doing to help reestablish the old ways? If it, it could be something as simple as those little cards coming by. Did you, did you take some? They're always available if you didn't get some later. But did you take some and take them eagerly? I go through three or four packets of them a week. Jan's over here. Jan leads worship. Wave at everybody. Jan used to work in a, in a little hamburger joint years ago. What was it called? Brangus Feedlot or something. And I used to go, and she was the nicest waitress. But every time I'd leave, I'd give her one of those little cards. And she said one day, I had a whole little jar, the little cards that you gave me. Because at the right time, she comes to church. Come on, get your life right with God. Gets baptized. Her kids, you know, have an exposure to God. Her husband's tragically killed. But somehow now she's found strength to keep going. And God's cared for, and her life's been turned around. When that happen? It's just because you just care enough to let it go out. Jonah said no. I want to encourage you, though, say yes to God. Leave this place today with some sense of responsibility for our Nineveh and the people that are around us. Because who knows if there would be another 24-year-old man or an 18 or a 10-year-old person, come on, or a 60-year-old man that's about to do the same thing right here in Texarkana, USA. But you may be the thing that's between them, come on, and saving people right here because you've called them back to the old ways. I want to close with this. My time's up here as Pastor Nick comes. And uh, why don't you do the piano rather than the, the guitar? Let's close with this. And I said earlier, the solution to America's problems are the church house, not the White House. 
There's a passage in the Old Testament. It's in Second Chronicles, and you know this passage. Let me read it to you just briefly. The Bible says these words. It says, it says uh, uh, verse 12, The Lord appeared to Solomon, and he said, When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, and I command the locusts to devour the land. Listen, when God says, I send pestilence among the people. You know it's just possible that the crises going on in America are warning signs from God? That book, The Harbinger, would really help you I talked about last week. Do you realize that, that it's just possible that God could be behind the economics that are going on in America today that are crumbling around us? Do you know today there's 26 states in America, over 1,050 counties that are under a drought? Could it be that God has removed his hand of protection over America to try to get the attention? But maybe he's not just trying to get the attention of the world. Listen, maybe he's trying to get the attention of the people of God. Maybe he's trying to tell us these words, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they'll pray, if they'll seek my face, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their, heal their land. Is it just possible that America's future is in our hands? To humble ourselves. In this context implies that God becomes first in our life. To seek God's face above everything else implies that God is the center of my life. That I'm not just a Sunday weekend Christian, but I'm serious about this thing. That I've given my life fully to God. And if God says go to China, I go to China. If God says give some money to something, I give some money. If God says get out of the bed and pray, I pray. But something about my life is a picture of a person who's given their life to reach people, to put God's will first in everything. And if I'd humble myself and I would pray, and listen, something's happening in the place of prayer in your church. I've come early several days this week to just seek the Lord myself here at church, and, and there's half a dozen guys and gals at Powerhouse at 6 in the morning just praying. Last night there, were, there was about 10 ladies in this back room, and they ran out of space. They just pray for the church. They pray for you. And they started with two of them, and now there's ten of them. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing? Somebody got a burden. Pat got a burden because so many people are battling with cancer and struggles in their life. And just opened a prayer meeting right here at 12 o'clock to 1 on Wednesdays. Last Wednesday, there were ten people that fasted through their lunch, that gave an hour of their time to seek the face of God, that God might come and visit us. What if that ten became a hundred? There was about 75 people in the altar before church last Wednesday night just coming 30 minutes early just to pray and seek the face of God. I'm telling you, friends, that we will begin to humble ourselves, to seek His face, and we'll begin to pray. And lastly, if we, the church, will turn from our wicked ways. Listen, I can't just look at my politicians or other people and throw a rock at them. I cannot just look at a Hollywood producer that produces some of these films. I cannot just look at someone in the newspaper that's violated you know, every, everything that we hold dear. I've got to look in the mirror because God says the healing of the land was going to start not when the world got its act together. Come on. Not when the Jason uh, Holmes of life got together, but it's when the church gets its life together. It's when holiness becomes more important to us, come on, than doing our own thing. It's when purity matters to us. It's when we're willing to let go of our worldly ways and our fleshly ways and put God first in everything. Listen, my friends, if you and I are willing to offer our lives as a holy sacrifice to God, if we're willing to seek His face and pray, there just may be hope for America.
And the next young man that's thinking about doing some vile act of destruction, either on his own or motivated by someone else, it's just possible, come on, that they could have an encounter with you and you would introduce them to the living God and you'd get them on the right track, the old ways, the good ways, rather than the path of destruction. Come on, give the Lord a good hand and I'm done this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? I'd like to pray with you. You know, the Bible says that we shouldn't just be a hearer of the word, but the book of James says we should be a what? It's a doer. So I want to ask this question to you as you bow your head a moment. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Just a few moments, hopefully you'll stay and have some of that good chicken parmesan. It's great. I ate it last night. Hopefully you'll stay with us, take some home with you, but you're going to go out and start your day. But I wonder, friend, if you'll take just a moment and say, God, what are you saying to me about this message? What have I heard today that could have a voice within the preacher's voice that speak to me? If you want to join me this morning and simply say, Lord, I want to humble myself. I want to begin to seek your face. I want to be a modern day Jeremiah. I want to be like Jonah. Just slip your hands to heaven with me and say, Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We care about America. We care about our nation. We care about, care about these modern-day Ninevites. You have been so good to us because I used to be one, and you rescued me. God, would you help us? Let this be your prayer, to turn from our wicked ways. The things that you call wrong, I want to address as wrong. I want to ask you to forgive me, Lord, for ways that I have acted that are inconsistent with what it means to be a Christian. I ask you to forgive me if I have not treated people the way I want to be treated. I want to forgive people too, Lord, that have treated me badly. Lord, I don't want to act with vengeance or revenge, but I want my heart to be tender and sensitive. Lord, I want to value life. I don't want to treat people like they're meaningless. I want to value life and hold all people as sacred, whether they're young or old or productive or unproductive or good or bad. I want to begin to have eyes to see people the way that you see them. I want you to wash my soul and cleanse me from my wicked ways. Ask the Lord right now that he would wean your heart away from things that are displeasing to God. My problem in my own life is not I don't know what to do. It's my heart that doesn't want to do it. Would you ask God to give you a heart that longs for purity and righteousness, longs for him? And Lord, we would offer a prayer for America today. We pray, Lord, for those people that are so hurting today in the city of Aurora, Colorado. A state that had Columbine shooting. A state that had a a gunfire in one of its largest churches. Would you please help this state? Would you help our nation? Would you turn our nation back to you? And would you let us be your voice? A modern-day Jeremiah calling people back to the old ways, the good ways. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Anybody say it? Hey, that's a prayer God delights to honor. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. We're going to sing one last song and dismiss today. I want to give you an opportunity, though, that maybe that you need a personal prayer. Maybe there's something in the message you heard that you need to respond to God. There'll be someone here to take just a moment with you. But I want to particularly speak to you that may be here that you're at a spiritual crossroads in your life. And you don't know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or hell. You need to get your life right with God today. You need to get back on the right track. 
that you've been walking in a pathway that's not been pleasing to God and you know it in your heart and you came to church today because you know you need to get right with God. And you can't respond and act on this message until you make your step in life to get right to, with God. You're here today and say, Pastor, I need to get right today. I, I want to ask for God's forgiveness for my life. I want the assurance of salvation. I want to know that Christ is real and I want to give Jesus my life. And I want to get a brand new spiritual start in my life. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. If you ask you this morning, could I pray for you? Lift your hand real quickly. We'd like to pray for you before we go this morning. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get right with God this morning. God bless you. I see your hand there in, in the back. God bless you. God bless you, sir. And I see your hand over here, too. Somebody else say, pray for me. I want to get my life. God bless you, dear. I see your hand. God bless you. I, I want to get my life right with God. I'm not where I need to be. Pray for me. I've gotten off track. Somebody lifted their hand over here. God bless you over here, too. Someone else. God bless you, sir. Give him a big hand over here. I'm not where I need to be with God. I want to get back on my track. A Christian that's gotten away, I want to get back with God. Anyone else this morning? All right, listen, we're going to pray right now. Our prayer team is going to come. You that raised your hand, I want you to come, too, and let us pray with you. Prayer team, come on, come right now. Sing this through one time. But all you that lifted your hand, give them one more big hand this morning. Come on up and pray with us. Come let us pray for you this morning. Come let us pray for you that lifted your hand. We want to give you some information, too, that's going to help put you on the right track. Come let us pray for you. I will love you, God.